Right, so for, yes, uh, those of you who we haven't met me, um, my name's Kat, and I have the delight of reading uh, the Bible with you today. Um, it will, should be on the screen behind me as well. So we're going to start in uh, Song of Songs, chapter 4, uh, from verse 10. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine, and the fragrance of your perfume more than any spice. Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits, with henna and nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with every kind of essence tree, with myrrh and aloes, and all the finest spices. You are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. Awake, north wind, and come, south wind. Blow on my garden, and its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my, and my honey, and I have drunk my wine and my milk. Now we're just going to skip some of uh, chapter 5, and we're going to start again uh, in verse 9. How is your beloved better than others, most beautiful of women? How is your, mo- how is your beloved better than others that you so charge us? My beloved is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. His head is purest gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice, yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies, dripping with myrrh. His arms are rods of gold, set with topaz. His body is like polished ivory, decorated with lapis lazuli. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend, daughters of Jerusalem. As we uh, kick around Song of Song, let me just pray for us that God would teach us more of his grace and kindness and his character through these passages. Father, we love you and we are so thrilled to bits that you love us. That's really seen clearly in the person and work of Jesus. So as we look at Song of Songs, may we reflect on the love between husband and wife, between one another here, but also be pushed to be in awe of the love that Jesus has for us. So awaken us, Jesus, by your Spirit, to God our Father. Amen. Uh, kids, I, you're in today because it's school holidays, and I've got a challenge for you, um, and adults too. You can, you can play this game. On the screen, on, 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 as the slides tick along, you'll find purple bubbles like this. They're hidden. And every bubble has a part of a verse. And your job is to hunt down what those bubbles, the words are in them, write it down, and then tell me at the end if you can decipher what verse it is. It's not a verse from Song of Song, I'll give you a hint, but it is a verse about God's love for us. 
So if you see the purple bubbles, write them down, and you have to use some of your grey matter to think through because there's some little pictures instead of words in some cases. So look through that, and if you can follow along at the end and let me know what verse they all make up. Just something for the kids to do. For the rest of us, we were... uh, Yeah, we can go to that one. We were in Song of Songs two weeks ago, and the first time we opened this book, we learnt how to listen well to the song. I just want to say, if you haven't listened to that talk, please do, because it will fill in some of the blanks about what we're going to look at today. So if you have burning questions about how we got to the conclusions we have, probably answered in the first week, uh, because it is ancient Hebrew erotic love poetry, and it really is talking about love and desire, and we need to get our bearings right as we hear this song correctly. But it's also, as we saw last time, classified as wisdom literature. It's a song written to make us wise in love, to catch God's vision for love and desire. That is, God has made desire and love, and it's really good. And God's blueprint for it, it works really, really well. God gives us a pattern and a purpose and a place for this love and desire. And his vision that he has is in marriage with one man and one woman. But we also saw the first week that human love is a bit like a drop in the ocean compared to and contrasting God's love for us. That is, God's love in Jesus is more intense, more stronger, far more secure than the lovers that we meet in Song of Song are. And then we left our married couple, or our engaged couple, I should say, right before their wedding day. They're enjoying the beginnings of love. They're kissing each other's cheeks. They're giving gifts of gold and jewelry. They're looking to each other's eyes. They're imagining what their life will be. They're comparing each other to beautiful places and objects like mountains and fields and the temple in Jerusalem. And not much is happening below the neck at this point. They're just gazing into each other's eyes. But today, in chapter 4 and 5, the middle of the book, we meet them on their wedding day and their wedding night. And we're going to look at the song that they sing to each other. But don't just think this is for those of you who are engaged. Should you be here today and you be unsure of this Jesus and this God we're talking about? Should you feel unloved in your life, in your own relationship, overwhelmed by that? Not feeling like the love and desire is quite there as it should be. Feeling like you can't sing this song that the husband and wife are singing. May you know that you are loved by God. And this is most perfectly seen in his devotion to you in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. As Theo so wonderfully reminded us, that's the greatest love story. And that is for each and every one of us, no matter our stage of life or what we're in. So please hear that. That Jesus' love for you is as intense and as strong and as passionate as a newlywed couple because his love makes us lovely, you see. So let's sing this song today, and we'll start with, uh, the, with his song. Our shepherd begins to sing a very steamy song of desire about his beloved in chapter 4. And we see a similar song that he sings in chapter 7. They, they're parallels in the song. Two sections that are quite literally verbal foreplay. And three things can be said about what he sings to his beloved. The first thing is there's joy in physical attraction. I think we could call our shepherd's song, Body Like a Garden. You see, in Song chapter 4, he describes seven parts of his beloved using different parts of creation. Seven is often a perfect number in the Bible, a number of completion and satisfaction. 
and she is that to him. But we immediately hear these verses and realize there's a problem. Every culture, indeed every body, has a different vision of beauty at times. One of you told me last week that they were teaching some children from another country, and one of the kids said to her with a chuckle, "Um, I don't understand why people in Australia call each other honey. It's so sticky and messy. Why would you say that to each other? It's a funny way to talk about someone you love. And when you think about it, they're right. Honey, if we assume the sweetness, the the love there, the the desire in, in that. But for this child, they didn't see that. They just saw stickiness. You see, Song of Songs isn't trying to describe the physical realities of her appearance or his appearance, like in that image. We're not to put them together and draw the people. It's just evoking love and desire. So let me help us with that as we get to some of the imagery in song. And let me sing to you Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 1 to 7, as if it was written by a guy from Adelaide in 2022. Let me give you a sense of how a Hebrew person may have understood this particular part of the song. If you've got your Bible, go to Song of Song 4, 1 to 7, and I'm going to read these verses, and you can follow along. And I've titled this, Heaps Good. Song of 4, 1 to 7, called Heaps Good. Listen to how perhaps the Hebrews would have heard this, and, and this butchers the beautiful Hebrew, Hebrew poetry in order to make it more helpful to us. But I think you get the picture. So it starts in 4 verse 1. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how heaps beautiful you are. Your eyes behind your veil, behind your veil are like a rainbow lorikeet dancing around the gum tree blossom. Your hair reminds me of the descent down McIntyre Road at sunset as the long train of piping shrike circles overhead. Verse 2. Your teeth are like the whites of Boomer Beach and your perfect smile needs no filter to make it shine. Verse 3, your lips are like a Barossa red. Your mouth is like exploring the hidden paths of the botanic gardens. And the joy of seeing you is like the excitement of the fringe on opening night. Verse 4, you are beautiful and strong, matchless in beauty from, and wisdom from the Flurio to the Flinders. Verse 5, your breasts are like the mole's balls, the twins of Rundle Mole that are a delight to me. Verse 6, Until the day breaks, I'll spend it with you on the couch, holding you close as we watch Netflix. Verse 7, you are altogether beautiful, my darling. You are heaps good. (laughs) And if you know Hebrew, you're cringing because I've ruined the lovely poetry there. The point is, she is a flawless beauty to him. And he's picking up around him the creation, what he sees, and says, you are this. You are this to me. It's his love for her that lights up her features, you see. You never know what she looks like. You realize that in the song, we never have a description of her or him. You could not draw them. The closest you get is she has tan skin. That's it. Love has a way of transporting you to the realm of beauty. Love has a way of making someone beautiful. And that's what he's getting at. And of course, this is most fully seen when we see the love that Jesus has for us. It's not that we love God, but that he loved us first. In fact, if we reflect upon who this Jesus is, it turns out there's nothing beautiful in his appearance, nothing majestic to attract us to him either. Isaiah 53, 2 reminds us. We would never sing of the beauty of Jesus. But his love makes us lovely, you see. Children's author Sally Lloyd-Jones 
says that the moment that God made Adam and Eve, when God saw them, he was like a new dad. You look like me, he said. You're the most beautiful thing I've ever made. And God loved them with all of his heart. And they were lovely because he loved them. And even when this deep love of God is broken by sin, God shows his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So you see, love has a way of making us beautiful. And the desire and the attraction that is in Song of Songs is good and right too. There is joy in that. But however, their relationship is more than just joy in being physically attracted. There's actually joy in friendship. Joy in friendship. In verse 8 to 11... It's about his desire to be with her, both in the marriage bed and as friends and lovers for all of night, all of life. Because we read in, in 9 and 10, a repeated phrase, you've stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. Now, the idea of sister is to express intimacy and friendship. The closeness of family, you see, of minds united, of shared interests, of being inseparable as a family is. Just stop and pause for a moment here. Now, if you're married, how's your friendship going? Once married, yes, life gets busy. There's kids and work and house, holidays, jobs and stress. And... But is there still a desire to be with your husband and wife as a friend, the one you love? Physically, yes, but as a friend too. I was talking to someone here a few weeks back and, and they'd been married for quite a number of years and he said something happened and, and his, he was away from his wife for a night. And he said, I think this is the first time I've been apart from my wife, my beloved. And as I left her in, in the hospital, as it were, he said, it was one of the worst nights of my life not to have my friend with me who I love. Great joy in physical attraction, but great joy in friendship as well. And there's joy in anticipation. Verse 11, your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. He's not just saying your sugar and spice and everything nice. He's using the language of milk and honey. He's comparing her to the promised land that God was promising to give his people, a land the Bible describes as flowing with milk and honey. And just as God promised this land to his people, so too she has promised herself to him and he to her. And then in verse 12, you are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. He compares it to a private garden, a garden reserved only for one guest, who is him. And he's given the key to her garden on the wedding night. And this is where we start bumping into God's vision for sexuality and how it's so at odds with what we see around us. We do see a good location in marriage. We do see a good time in the wedding night. And we see an exclusiveness. She has stolen his heart and no one else will have it. Pause here again. Perhaps it's asked if you're not married yet or you've, you've wondered this yourself. In, when you date, how far is too far? What's this line physically? Well, some might say consent. As, as long as you both agree, that's fine. Now, consent is a good thing, of course, but God's not just interested in mutual agreement. He'd like to talk about intimacy as well and intent. You see, Jesus himself has a really, really high view on human sexuality. In Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has no issue with people noticing each other. 
What he's concerned is, is looking out with lustful intent. And his example in this case is a man looking at a woman, noticing her beauty, but then saying, I want to have her in some way. And that's the intent that he's interested in speaking into. Because Jesus has a very, very high value on the, and, on, and sees the woman with worth and dignity so much that she is not to be looked at lustfully. He thinks she's worth so much more than just an object. Sam Albury, commenting on this passage, says her sexuality is precious and valuable. She has integrity to her which matters and should be honored by everyone else. Sexual integrity is so precious it must not be violated even in the privacy of someone else's mind. The question isn't, how far do I get before I sin? Because that's not how God sees it. The question needs to be, how holy can I make you? That in our sexuality, how can we honor God and each other with this vision in this way? Because the wisdom of songs and the wisdom of Jesus says, as much as I want to look and touch, I will not awaken that desire and that pleasure until God's vision is there, and that's the wedding night. Because then within marriage, after all, passions can burn long and blaze brightly. That's the hope. So the hit song, Body Like a Garden, that he sings, is about the joy of physical attraction, friendship, and anticipation. What does she sing? What about her song? So a woman in song four speaks only once in chapter four, only once, and it's in verse 16, and it's this joyful invitation. Awake, north wind, come, south wind, blow on my garden, that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. So she's given him the key, and she invites him in. And I think, in the middle of the song here, this is perhaps the most intense verse in the entire song. Without even saying it, you know what she's asking. And then in 5.1, it gets the, the high points right here as well, because he says, I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I've gathered my myrrh with my spice. I've eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I've drunk my wine and my milk. If the vision was a land of milk and honey, he's arrived in the land of milk and honey here. But again, notice the image of garden and promised land. They've arrived. Desire is God-given and it's joyful. But, but it's private. It's at this moment that the narrator, as it were, comes in and imagine him closing the door. And we're left outside the bedroom with a smile, knowing what's happening but never allowed to view or enter into this with them. And then narrator leads us back to, say, the reception on the wedding day. Weddings went for a week often in, in the ancient Near East here. And then he says, as he sits you down with the husband and wife now gone, he says, eat, friends, and drink your fill of love. And you look at your meal, and you can't help but think, maybe the narrator's not just talking about the food on my plate, but maybe what's happening in the bedroom he's got in mind. So there's this joyful invitation and there's a joyful affirmation too. Not only are a couple friends, but they have friends as well. They have a community that speak into each other's lives and they speak into their lives. In 5 verse 9 now, the woman is asked by her friends, what is about him that's so amazing? You keep saying he's great, just tell us. You found this guy, why do you, why do you love him to bits? Why do you, what's, what is about him that's so good? 
And so then she bursts into praise of him, like he does in chapter 4, and she describes his appearance, his hair, his eyes, his cheek, his lips, his strong arms, legs, and mouth. You see, they're both affirming and praising each other. They're both delighting in what they see. Now, if you're married, do you compliment and affirm each other? In a culture that's so body-obsessed and filter-driven, having the affirmation of the one you love with whom you're intimate with, can cut through the noise and unrealistic body images that we see and help ground us. And we saw that in the first week too, as she was self-conscious about her appearance, but he said, I reckon you're really beautiful. And it's not that you need the approval of a guy or a girl to make you feel good, it's that it cuts through the unhelpful cultural voices to ground you in something. And the same goes for the not-yets. There's a place for affirmation and compliments that are not sexualized or anything, but just encouraging, kind. They're not critical. They're not cutting us down. But there's a place for compliments of people in the church encouraging one another here. And then the song song ends with this beautiful refrain that Meredith drew our attention to in 5.16. This is my beloved, this is my friend, daughters of Jerusalem. Just as he had said, you're my friend and my lover, so she says, you're my friend, you're my lover. My story with Natasha, uh, my wife, married 16 years now, began as a friendship over a year, and we were asked to babysit one night. Well, she was asked to babysit, no one would ever ask me to do that. And then we, she said, come with me, so it's fine, and then and after the parents got home, we decided to go to the beach, and then we never wanted to let each other go after that. We realized that night, sitting on, at West Beach, on the rocks, our friendship grew into something more. But maybe your love story is not like that. Your love story is like Jane Austen wrote in chapter 43 of Pride and Prejudice. It says this, Their eyes instantly met, and the cheeks of both were overspread with the deepest blush. Here's the thing, it doesn't matter if you begin as a friendship, or if the couple begins just by glancing at the beauty, the point of the song is saying they both need to grow and catch up with each other for a healthy relationship. As friends first, or as going, wow! As long as you get to friends and as long as you get to wow, this is what the wisdom of the song is telling us. It encourages us to make sure both catch up. Because God has designed our relationships to say in 5.16, this is my beloved, this is my friend. And so let's leave our lovers and friends now on their wedding night as they sing about one another's beauty. And the next week, we'll hit chapter 8. And for the first time, our our lovers will look beyond themselves and look up and realize that their love is just a shadow of a deep, burning flame that can't be quenched by all the oceans. And we'll explore that love. But let's end with one thought to help us apply this in our relationships, both married and not married, and then a final thought about how the trajectory of this song keeps us going as we see the dedication and devotion of Jesus to the one he loves as well. So from the beginning, God tells us that sex is good. He placed man and woman in the Garden of Eden to become one flesh and fill the earth, and what did they say? No, thank you. They said, wonderful. They they did it. It They were happy to do it. They felt no shame in each other's nakedness. And then life outside the garden is full of shame and hurt and toil and pain. 
But then every now and then we get a glimpse of what life can be like back in the garden. And Song of Songs gives us an example of that. We must see this is as if the box of the puzzle of love and desire. This is holding up the the perfect picture. And in your own life, the pieces may be scattered. The thousand-piece puzzle, when it comes at the box, does not always instantly put itself together on the table. And in fact, it doesn't. And your own life and relationship story might be one of feeling like I've just put the four corners in, I've still got 996 pieces to go. It doesn't mean the vision's wrong, it just means you're not there yet. And that's okay, God is full of grace and kindness. And it's good to know what God's vision is too. And Song of Songs is an example of that. Delighted by the bodies, joyfully waiting, locking them up until the wedding night, and then experiencing this wonderful and delightfulness. Enjoying God's gift the way he intends. Dedicating their bodies to God and then to one another. We see that in the refrain, do not awaken love until the right time. The song gives us a glimpse of going back to Eden before sin and shame and guilt, before we hide our bodies from one another, before we use our bodies in intimacy in a wrong way, in a hurtful way. God's vision that he puts before us is to use love and intimacy completely, exclusively, permanently for one other person. And it is odd and it is strange and maybe it's shocking to hear this today. But just remember, this was shocking and strange in the time of Jesus. It it has never been acceptable as a huge culture to hear this and go, that's good. It's always a bit confronting. A theologian called Beth Jones comments that Christianity's claims that Jesus gives us the kind of freedom that allows us to choose sexual holiness. That's, that's what he does. Freedom to choose that. In God's kingdom, everybody, everyone's body is honored. But in Jesus' day, in Rome, bodies were for power, pleasure, the state, or the market. But Jesus has a different vision, you see. And then once we, are, once we give the key, to use the language of Song of Songs, to someone, that we then remain in the garden with them. We're faithful. We make sure we don't let others in. We don't creep out at night into someone else's garden either. We protect the fruits, the spices, the delight, the intimacy from others, from from images, videos, from words that should be reserved for our lover and not the person at work. We keep our garden locked, you see? And that's God's vision that he holds out to us. And it's wonderful. The blueprint is good. And may you know, whatever situation you're in right now, I'm cheering you on as you pursue that. I'm cheering you on as you choose to follow God's vision in this way for you. As hard as it may be at times, know that I'm for you in this as you pursue God. Because the wisdom of the song encourages us to dedicate our bodies to God and one another for his purpose. And we do so because in Jesus, each of us are already dedicated to God. The language of husband and wife is often picked up in the Bible to talk about our relationship with God, to stress the intimacy, closeness and friendship, faithfulness and protection of God's devotion to his people, right? So Isaiah 62 verse 5, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. And then Jesus comes along. The first thing John the Baptist says, ah, the bridegroom's here. He's arrived. And then further along in Revelation, in the last book of the Bible, an angel says to John, come, I'll show you the bride. 
the wife of the lamb. Come have a look. And who does he look at? Who does he point to? You. It's the people of God. They are the bride and the lamb, Jesus, which means he's the sacrifice of God, he is there. You see, you have to realize God's vision for us isn't just a strange sexual ethic or anything. His vision is that each of us would belong to the good husband, Jesus. That we would find satisfaction in him. That we would know we're safe, secure, safe in him, even without a partner. For all eternity. If you're married, there will be a use-by date. But if you know Jesus, there will never be. Let me finish with a story from World War II that describes this love. Towards the end of World War II, Major Claude Hensinger jumped out of his burning cockpit of the B-29 bomber and he floated safely to the ground. And then after landing, he used his parachute as a pillow and a blanket to keep warm while he waited to be rescued. And he made it home safely. And then soon after, he proposed to his girlfriend, Ruth. And he offered his parachute as the fabric for her wedding gown. And the local seamstress skillfully used and weaved the silk into this wonderful work of art you can see on the screen, which is in the Smithsonian still. And this is our story too. First, Jesus rescues us from the flames of judgment by his death on the cross. Then he asks us to be married to him forever. Then when it comes to time to celebrate our union, he provides a beautiful white wedding dress that is made from the perfect clothes of his salvation. Young, old, men, women, singled, married, divorced, widows, engaged, this can be and is your future in Jesus. And I'm cheering you on as you follow God's vision for you in Jesus. So that you can say of him, Jesus is my beloved, Jesus is my friend. Let's pray. Our great God, you set a vision of love and desire before us for marriage, Lord, between a man and a woman, and it's good and the blueprint is great. It is hard It is difficult and and we know and acknowledge that not all relationships are joyful, nor do all relationships remain joyful. But God, with you, there is a vision of safety, security, joy and peace through all that, in spite of all that. And Father, we long to know you more. And we're reminded today that you just love us to bits. So help each of us, Lord, to sit and enjoy the love that Jesus has shown us in his life, death, and resurrection. And Spirit, make that come home to us now deeply and intimately, each of us. And Father, too, in our relationships, may we hold this vision up and live to glorify you and make one another holy. So Father, please, in our relationships today, give us a glimpse of life back in the garden, even if for a moment but make us all richly filled with your love. In your name we pray. Amen.